Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 58 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike, and that is Gavin. And Gavin, we're doing this one a little bit earlier than normal. We are. So we are, I mean, it'll still go out on, on Wednesday, but we're recording it a little early uh, because, so it's going to be a little bit more of a technical sort of uh, theory of science or, or you know, more... No, not just talking about a group of animals or something like that. We're going to be talking about like a concept. So it's, so it's going to be very kind of abstract, kind of conceptual. Um, and because of that, uh, I want to be able to have the YouTube, uh, you know, portion of this uh, episode up at the same time, which if we recorded our normal time, I can't really do. Uh, so if you have any questions at all during this, please go to the YouTube channel. You'll find it down below in the show notes. Uh, and ask your question there. That's probably the best way. Or, you know, you can just, you know, like tag us on Twitter where you should follow. You can find that down in the show notes as well. But like I said, it's going to be technical, but I think it's really important and something that I find really interesting and that uh, at least somebody else finds somewhat interesting as well because it was requested. Uh, So this is another requested uh, topic. So if you have a topic that you want us to share and and you know us to talk about there's a form for that down the show notes there's a lot of fun stuff down there so uh definitely check out some of the things down the show notes but so today we're gonna be talking me this is gonna be a little bit more intensive than uh the velocipaster just a little bit just a little bit last week was i know last week was a bit of a ride uh (laughs) if if you managed to follow through it uh good for you But that's something we like to do here. I think that's been a um, one thing I've enjoyed about this podcast is the uh, kind of the ebbs and flows where we can have a really technical, serious episode and we can also just review a bad movie. And it is it all kind of fits under the same umbrella. And I, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. And so this episode is uh, it was requested by uh, Libris, who is somebody who I have had various interactions around the Internet with. Um but so I'll read verbatim what uh, what they ask in the topic suggestion form. So it says, uh, the question is, what topic ideas do you have? And it says taxonomy and cladistics. So taxonomy being why we name things the way we do, you know, why humans are called homo sapiens and such. And cladistics being how we know how related things are. So why we know that chimpanzees are the next closely related thing to humans and then gorillas and then orangutans and so on so the science behind how we make trees of life and so they go on to say i recently read why fish don't exist by lulu miller which i looked up it's a a book not one that i have read but uh which includes a chapter uh, about cladists people who make trees of life debunking fish as a category and it got me thinking about how slash why Uh, we name things. I think you've touched on some of it, like how birds are dinosaurs, but I'm interested in a more in-depth look at the reasoning behind it. I'd also like to learn more about what degrees of difference means something must be different. And they give the example of genus, family, etc. So we're going to talk about all of that in this episode. That sounds like quite a bit. It is, but it's... Uh, you know, this it, I took an entire course in this, so we're not going to cram an entire course worth of stuff into an hour-ish podcast, uh, but we're going to try to just sort of address some of those questions, why 
we name things, how we know certain things are related to each other, and a little bit of the history uh, behind the the practice of that. So, All right, I am. Uh, I'm already feeling a little bit overwhelmed, and I'm looking forward to uh, to getting the process broken down. That's okay. As we go through this episode, <laughs> and really quickly, uh, before we get into the meat of it, I it happened like a day before we recorded last episode, but it didn't seem to fit uh, last episode's uh, goofy nature. But uh, friends of the pod, uh, Nasaibo Raja and Dr. Emma Dune recently published a paper that I think they had mentioned uh, in episode 33 when they were on the podcast. And you might also remember them from episode 52. Uh, They published a paper uh, basically actually putting real concrete numbers to how uh, like colonialism and you know past history and well frankly current too uh histories of colonialism affect paleontology and actually putting like hard concrete numbers instead of uh you know just sort of theorying about it so uh that paper is open source until the end of january so we'll have a link to that down the show notes as well anybody can go download it i think it's really important um but it didn't really seem to fit (laughs) the (laughs) very unimportant nature of last episode so we're going to have to get them back on to uh, to discuss that. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to them back in episode 33. If you haven't listened to that one, um, give it a shot because they are both just uh, very engaging scientists. Yeah, absolutely. So with that out of the way, taxonomy and cladistics. So we have talked about taxonomy directly in two episodes, episode 5 and 25, and we sort of touchingly talk about it in pretty much every episode. So like episode, uh, you know, 56 about manatees. Yeah. Two episodes ago about manatees. So we talked, you know, this family, you know, the, the manatee family is Trichecidae. The dugong family is Dugongidae. And so why, why are those the names we give things? So that's what we're going to be talking about for this first part. Okay. And, the big thing before we begin just yeah. what is what is taxonomy just like a definite is it just how we you know categorize different species is that what we're doing so it is categorizing and naming is the important thing okay so what most people are probably familiar with is linnaean taxonomy uh you i'm positive at least you know if you are in the united states most of our education systems talk about this in like middle school to early high school biology. This would be your kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. That whole hierarchy. So that was created in, uh, I believe, 1758 uh, by Carolus Linnaeus, who was, I think, a Swiss or Swedish. I don't remember. I get them confused. Um, But yeah, he was a scientist doing that kind of thing. And he was the first one to actually make a system of organizing and naming uh, organisms that was very widely accepted throughout pretty much all of science. And Was it accepted right away, or was that one of those things that had to catch on over a period of time? Pretty much. It was pretty much adopted right... You know, obviously it takes a little bit for stuff to be translated, but he published it in Latin. Um, like, because Carolus Linnaeus is, like, the Latinized version of his name. I don't believe that was, his, like, his mm-hmm. actual you know, given name. But, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, back in those times, if you published stuff in Latin, it was pretty widely available. 
and was gotcha. read pretty widely. So, okay. So he published this in a, his extremely, extremely famous book called the Systema Natura or the System of Nature. And originally, he did all those steps: the kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Not all of them were there at first. So he only published uh, and categorized things as kingdom, class, order, and uh, genus species so he left out the uh uh phylum right yeah phylum and uh family he did not have family either those those were added in later for reasons that we'll talk about and linnaeus even back then said that genus and species were the only ones that he saw as quote-unquote godly which today most people take as being reflective of nature you know different species look different and for the most part different genera the plural of genus look different as well um and and behave different and function different in their ecosystems but even way back you know 250 years ago he knew that the higher or the higher levels of his classification the kingdom class and order were just constructs that we use to help organize life and discuss life because those upper levels, and I've mentioned this before in a, in a way that I don't think I did a proper job of explaining because I don't think I had it in the notes, but this was something that I had struggled with when I learned it. Um, so I really should have spent more time on it, but that's my bad. But so he knew that the, the upper levels are arbitrary. Yeah, there's nothing like, you know, inherent in nature that points to where those definite lines are. Like, it's it's stuff that we made up just to help us explain things, if I'm correct, right? Exactly. And so when I learned it, because to me, arbitrary means doesn't matter, which is sort of true and also sort of not true when it comes to naming things. So the example that I kind of thought up is uh, within at least English, you know, the language that I'm most familiar with. Most nouns are arbitrary. For example, I'm going to use three fruit that most people are probably pretty broadly familiar with. Say nouns are arbitrary? And I'll, I'll, I'll get there. I was going to say, I, I don't know what you mean by that, but go ahead. So I'm going, to, I'm going to use the examples of three different fruit. So blueberries. That makes sense that we call them blueberries because they're berries that are blue. Okay. That makes sense. Purpley, but all right. Well, I'll go with it. Grapes. What about a grape says that that should be called a grape? Nothing. Grape, so is the grape means grape like, because we call it a grape. As opposed to like blueberry where like there is an adjective that informs the noun. Right. Okay. And then as a further example, grapefruit, which... I mean, they got the fruit part, right? Um, there's nothing about a grapefruit that says we should call it a grapefruit. They're not remotely similar to grapes. But we call it that because the word grapefruit is much easier than saying, oh, the big citrus fruit. It's shorthand so for something else. That's what so pretty much all nouns in English are, are shorthand for something else. So is the point just that like, you know, like we make up words, you know, the only reason that 
you know, the only reason any words have meaning is because we have given them that meaning, you know, if you go back up the tree far enough. Exactly. And like language okay. itself just kind of doesn't work if you don't give names to things. Because if you had to describe, uh, say, a dog, if you had to describe what a dog was every time you talked about your dog, l language kind of just falls apart. It's like, instead of saying a dog, you'd say, oh, this furry animal that lives in my house. And it's like, okay, well, what is an animal? Well, it's this organism that, you know, whatever. Well, what's an organism? And you can kind of just follow it all the way up. So it's like, we need to give names to things in order for language and conversation to have any kind of purpose. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's also kind of arbitrary because life is a big spectrum. All of the lines that we draw are artificial. If you say you have uh, a spectrum of light in front of you, so like a, a big rainbow. If you ask a thousand people to say, you know, point out red, orange, yellow, green, and blue, they'll all do it pretty much the same. But if you ask those same thousand people, draw the line between red and orange, between orange and yellow, they'll put it all in slightly different places. This is kind of like the, the tennis ball question. Like, is a tennis ball green or yellow? And then, you know, people yeah. will go argue about it forever. Yeah, exactly. And so that spectrum, if you sort of think about life in that sense, where you draw the line only matters because if we don't have a set place to put it, if we don't have a set color that we call red and a set color that we call orange, then they bleed into each other too much and it's no longer useful to talk about them. Mm -hmm. So, so we said we have to agree where the lines are before we can go any further. And it doesn't really matter where the lines are as long as we agree that the lines exist. Exactly. Okay. And so, so circling back to Linnaeus a little bit, uh, Linnaeus published his book. And so this was actually the 10th edition of this book that he actually came up with this naming system in he'd written this same book it basically you know how like college textbooks put out like a new edition every year but only tweak like a yep. couple things and still somehow are like the new hey, edition hey give me eight hundred dollars now um but sort of like that except Linnaeus actually put useful things in his new editions so it took him okay. it took him 10 editions to add in this naming system was Linnaeus a good dude? Like, he seems like a pretty cool guy from what you're describing here. From as far as I can tell, I mean, I, okay. feel, I feel like realistically any, or I'd say most white people living in the uh, 18th century probably have some problematic stuff going on. But anyway, that's that's a different conversation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I wasn't sure if there was anything super obvious. That, Not that know, I know that, of. Like, anybody that knows about Linnaeus, you know, in addition to the other stuff, they also know about that time he did. But okay. Not that I'm aware fair of, enough. yeah. Um, well, we can continue then. So almost as if like it was meant to be this way, this was almost exactly a hundred years before Darwin published on the origin of species. So by this point, we did not know about evolution, really. People had thought about it, uh, but, but it was never as concrete and well formulated as Darwin would put it a hundred years beforehand. So mm -hmm. between Linnaeus and Darwin's times, you know, that's a hundred years of giving names to things. 
that mo- a lot of which are still in use today. Even though we don't use Linnaean taxonomy as it was written, we still use it as a base uh, for things because, you know, most people are familiar with, you know, the term reptilia, you know, reptiles and things, which we've talked about uh, a bit before why that doesn't quite work uh, because, well, well, we'll get there when we talk about some of the problems with Linnaean taxonomy. Right. Um, but the important thing for this span of a hundred years uh, is that l- people would categorize things and give them names based on similarity, but not at all based on ancestry, which is what we do now. So things that are more closely related are in the same group. Whereas, you know, even if, even if they're quite, un, you know, not similar, you know, for example, um, Linnaeus put birds and mammals in the same group. He grouped them as more closely related than either of them are to reptiles because they're both, you know, mammals and birds are both warm blooded. They both have a four chambered, more complex heart. So he thought because of those features, they should be in a group together without reptiles. I mean, so I know it's not very scientific to do that and we don't do it today, but could it be argued there's some value in doing that for, you know, more the common person to group things together based on just kind of, you know, outward characteristics as opposed to um, ancestry? Is there any kind of value to doing that, even if it's not like the world's most scientific thing? I think there definitely is. And I think that's a big reason of why Linnaean taxonomy has hung around so long, because we've known for uh, at least 70 years at this point that like it's not the most useful because of some of the errors we're going to talk about. So we've known that it's had its problems for a while. But, you know, things trickle out from, you know, the scientific consensus very slowly uh, into like culture. And if, you know, Linnaean taxonomy, if the only biology class that you take is your ninth grade biology and they only teach you kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, then you have no other way to be exposed to some of its potential problems and why it's not so used so much anymore. So, cause something that's a big thing that I see online a lot, cause I'm in a number of, you know, paleontology Facebook groups is people who argue that birds are not reptiles because reptilia is a class and aves, which is birds is also a class. Because they are classes, they are at the same level and cannot be within each other. Right, you couldn't have one. You couldn't. It's either binary. It's either or. Right, uh, which is not how it is, and we'll talk about that a little more in depth in, in a bit here. Um, but another example that is, I think, much more relevant to pop culture, or I guess culture in general, is uh, the term pachyderm which we've talked about before, I think in the elephants episode, but so pachyderm was a real group or pachydermata, I I think was the the actual name of the group that it pachyderm just means thick skin. So this would be things that you would think of, of having thick, tough skin. This would be your elephants, hippos, rhinos. They were all put in the same group until, you know, Darwin came along and we realized if we look at their ancestry, 
instead of just their features, they should not be grouped together because they are ancestrally very, very different animals. And so like they were grouped together for a period of time and then like now they are not. Is that correct? Right. So how does you might get here, but I am curious how that transition happens, how it's decided, okay, we're going to make this change, update all your textbooks and models and understand like the transition is almost more. What fascinates me is once a decision gets made, how does that wind up playing out in practice? So fortunately a lot of that didn't have to happen because for the most part, things that are more similar to each other are similar because they're related. So when we got around, you know, when Darwin, you know, introduced us to natural selection and we started creating groups based on ancestry instead of just features, conveniently, things that have similar features often share a close ancestry, which is why a lot of the groups that Linnaeus and, and people around the same time as him, a lot of the groups that they introduced are still valid, still real groups, because, you know, if, if even if you group things by similarity, most of the time, that will also be by ancestry. I mean, that, that seems like kind of a lucky, a lucky accident then. So it's a little so bit, the yeah. changes that need to get made between the old school and the new school ways were, you know, were more rare than you might, you know, than just by doing it randomly. Yeah. So like Packard, okay. the, the reason that like Pachydermata comes up a lot when you talk about this kind of thing is because that's one of the big examples of, you know, this method really being wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that and like the bird and mammal stuff as well. Um, but it, you know, Linnaeus did a lot of really good stuff. And if you look up, you know, the majority of like really common animals, uh, a lot of their scientific names are named by Linnaeus. So like Linnaeus named uh, Bos Taurus, the genus and species for domestic cattle. Um, you know, most animals like that, or even some exotic ones, because he would just send people out and have them bring him back stuff. Um, so like tapers. Uh, which are relatives of rhinos and horses. Uh, those don't certainly don't live in, uh, you know, where Linnaeus was. Today they live mostly in Central and South America, and I think there's one species in Indonesia. And but he named at least the genus Tapirus. Uh, so he did a lot of good stuff that is still valuable today. But similar to a lot of things, you know, in in your wheelhouse like history. Uh, you can acknowledge the good work they did while also pointing out the problems. It is hard not to do that uh, with quite a lot of characters is to say they are complex people. Let's, you know, let us take them as they come. Right. So let's, let's talk about some of those problems then that we now have with Linnaeus's work. So as I pointed out before, some groups wound up within a group of the same rank. For example, that class Reptilia and class Aves. Both classes, yet by how we classify things today, Aves is within Reptilia. And that for people who aren't used to thinking of, you know, these groups as as a scientist who studies this kind of thing, 
that that confuses a lot of people because it's like it they're both classes they should be equal but they're they're just not and a great example that i found while making up my notes for this were two orders so uh two episodes ago in the manatees episode we talked about the order sirenia so that is an order of mammals that has four living species today and somewhere around, I don't remember exactly, but 60-ish fossil members total. Whereas Coleoptera, which is the order of beetles, has over 400,000 species in it just living today, let alone the fossil ones. That seems like a lot. That's a lot. So having things on the same rank implies that they are similar in size. But it very clearly does not. Right. And it also implies a lot of other things uh, of, you know, equality between them, such as, you know, beetles have been around for, you know, well over a hundred million years, probably pushing closer to 200 million years. Um, Actually, no, quite a bit longer than 200, because I'm actually thinking, because I read a paper recently about how they did across the end Permian mass extinction, which was 252 million years ago. So they've beetles have been around a damn long time. Yeah, they've been around for a really long time. Whereas, as we talked about before, manatees have only been around for tops 55 ish million years ago. So one group is massively more diverse than the other one and has been around for a heck of a lot longer, but they're at the same rank. So in the eyes of most people, they're at the same rank that implies some level of equality between them when that is almost never the case. Hmm. So this is uh, all kind of summed up in a way that also is kind of tricky to wrap your head around is that life is too diverse for Linnaean taxonomy. I mean, that makes sense to me. You right. Know, you have, you know, there's like one formula. This is how we are going to categorize things. And then you just like look around, you like step outside in a few different places and you're like, Oh, that's a lot. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like we have enough levels. Well, cause we, I, I think people for a while tried to really hang on to using Linnaean taxonomy more than we do today, because I, th- I think there are a fit. It's something with the seven. So it's either 27 or 17 formal ranks within Linnaean taxonomy. So there are things like uh, subspecies, subgenus, subfamily, superfamily, suborder, superorder, things like that. Uh, levels in between each of the ones that you're more familiar with. But even with that, say it is the 27, that is still not even close to as diverse as you need to actually classify life properly. So for example, I went through, and I'm not going to list all of these because that would be bad content, but uh, I went through and just started at the very top of human taxonomy. So this would be things like the group that is everything that's not bacteria than everything that's not plants. So starting at the very, very tippy top, there are, and this was a total coincidence, uh, there are 69 um, different (laughs) stages, different clades is what we would call those. So a clade 
is the term that we use instead of saying kingdom, phylum, class. A clade is just a general term for any rank or other group of life. And and when you have 69 different levels of something, it's it sort of becomes untenable to have that as your system. And this is just yeah. for humans, whereas, you know, various other well, species, I presume, have could have many more or many less. Well, and, and I guarantee, I guarantee that I missed some, number one. And number two, in between each one of those, could you could go all the way down to species because each new group must originate from, you know, a particular population of a species, you know. So, like, our family, Hominidae, must have evolved from a particular population of you know another species so within each one of these it could go all the way down to species and then you go up to the order primates and then you go all the way down to species and stuff like that so this is i unbelievably incomplete, and this is but it kind of goes back to that whole line drawing problem that we talked about at the beginning exactly like it, you know right what's you, what where what are these levels even when you really start to get down to it exactly and there are they are important and drawing the lines where we draw them you know um so for example for humans what one of the big things that differentiates us from the other apes is that uh our spine meets our skull on the bottom the the hole where your spinal cord goes out from your skull into your spine is you know fate points downward whereas in other apes it points more backward our the bones in our okay. skull have shifted a bit that's one of the defining features it doesn't have to be why we pick the features we do at the end of the day is kind of arbitrary so there and there's also no reason why we call things i shouldn't say no reason the reason homo sapiens is called homo sapiens is because those words mean something. There's no reason that, you know, homo sapiens couldn't have been called something else, you know? Mm -hmm. So that is a bit of why some of the groups that, uh, some of the problems with some of the groups that Linnaeus made and the problem with, doing this without fossils because at this point they did not include fossils in this at all because we didn't really understand that fossils were a really important part of this because they showed the ancestry so let me let me walk you through a little bit of an of an, of an example here yeah back in Linnaeus's time if you were to compare a human an elephant a boa constrictor and like a seagull, depending on what features you picked, would change how you would group those. So I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Like, depending on what you're focusing on and where you want to start. Right. So, yeah. so for, for example, if you did it based on warm blood, the human, the elephant, and the seagull would be grouped together. And the boa constrictor would be off by itself. If you did it based on laying eggs... The human, the elephant, and the boa constrictor would be together because boa constrictors do not lay eggs. They give live birth. Those three would be together, and the seagull would be off by itself. And if you did it based on teeth, then the elephant, 
and the boa constrictor, you could argue, should be together because they both shed teeth constantly. As we talked about with the elephants, they only have the one tooth in each part of their mouth, and they just constantly shed them throughout their life. So do boa constrictors. So those two would be together. Humans would be off to the side, and then birds don't even have teeth. So none of those are consistent with each other, nor are they correct. But when you put in the ancestry and follow the evolution of those traits, then it shows the truth that, you know, birds used to have teeth, but they got rid of them. It shows that boas used to lay eggs, but they don't anymore. And elephants used to have normal mammal teeth, but they've since changed them. So you can't do what Linnaeus was trying to do without evolution. questions it again to me this all kind of goes back to like the the line drawing mm-hmm. problems like it's i can actually follow this a lot better than i thought i would be able to because at the end of the day you know how there's a there's a similar problem when it comes to coastlines um that i won't bore anybody with but basically when you're trying to measure the length of coastlines that number mm-hmm. can actually change the length of a coastlines depending on um, how granular you want to get right and you just need to agree exactly what you're using as your um you know, as your barometer essentially and it seems like it's the same thing here where it's a useful tool to be able to teach kids how species and evolution and different species work um, it's useful to help visualize it but at the end of the day those lines are a lot fuzzier than than anybody would ever you know think of uh, in part because, you know, what do you focus on, like you were just talking about before, but also just, uh, you know, life is way too complicated than, uh, life on Earth is too complicated for a one-size-fits-all system, as simple as it was made to be in my seventh grade biology class. Right. Yeah. And that's something that my uh, grad school advisor, who will hopefully be on, on the show at some point, um, said, you know, as you go up in your education, it is more or less just a systematic refutation of lies. I believe you've mentioned this a time or two before. So when you were taught your kingdom phylum class order, family, genus, species, that was a little bit of a lie that it, that this is how it cleanly works, but useful lie. lie. Yes. A very useful lie. Because if I were to throw all of this at a ninth grader, they would probably shut down immediately. You know, Right. Uh, so I guess sort of wrapping things up a little bit here, we still have a little bit to, to talk about, but um, let's do it to be a proper group under cladistics, which is the science, like I said, of making trees of life. It, you need to include an ancestor and all of its descendants. So for example, Humans are apes, because if you go back to the first ape and include all of its descendants, that includes us. Whales are even-toed ungulates, things with hooves, because if you go all the way back to the first even-toed ungulate and look at all of its descendants, that includes whales. And similar story for birds being reptiles. Same thing. And so 
that is something that a lot of people miss because another piece of discourse you know that i see a lot on different facebook groups because of course it's about dinosaurs so everybody has strong opinions on it for some reason. <laughs> just to just to make your blood boil a little bit more than it would already be. It's about dinosaurs. Well, because people will also sort of they'll like start to understand the concept because, but they'll sort of turn it around and say dinosaurs aren't reptiles because birds evolved from them. So it's like they took the first step, but are are to sort of almost refusing to understand it correctly <laughs> <laughs> which um, is always extra frustrating yeah uh so birds are reptiles because dinosaurs are reptiles and uh therefore birds are reptiles so this is this the the this method of creating trees and creating groups is why also things like snakes, which don't have legs, are tetrapods, which means four leg, you know, because they used to have legs, but they just got rid of them. And circling back to uh, Libris's suggestion, I believe the book that they suggested this topic off of was called Why, why Fish Don't Exist, which is interesting because we've definitely talked about this on the podcast before. So I think I, I believe so. I believe we've mentioned mm-hmm. it a time or two. So we have talked about it in the sense that fish as a term, because if you're looking at fish as a group and include all of its descendants, that must also include humans, snakes, birds, dinosaurs, turtles, whatever, anything with bones essentially is a fish. I guess the person who wrote that book made the argument that fish is a dumb term that we shouldn't use. And granted, I haven't read the book, so I don't know. But uh, because it is so broad that it is meaningless. If fish includes everything from what you think of as a fish to humans, that term no longer is really useful to use. Right? Yeah. Is is that sort of tracking? Yeah, I mean, it, right. It's, you know, you know what, what do we agree to call things? And, you know, while it might be easy to look at a goldfish and say fish, you know, all of those kind of outer permutations or the penumbra, I think, to use a legal term <laughs> um, and a science term, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, it's where things start to get tricky. And, you know, it doesn't matter exactly what we call things, but it matters that we agree. Right. And I think fish is a great example of a place where no matter how much scientists say it, people will not change the way they speak. So I've said a number of times on this show that humans are fish. Technically, yeah, we are. But, you know, the the public... That's, that's not useful, right. The public will never do that. And I don't, honestly, nor should they. <laughs> be, be, yeah, right. Because fish, you know, has a specific term in, you know, vernacular use instead of science use. And to take that away, I think, would just not be the right thing to do. Right. It, it's not useful. How is the... Would, to sort of take that in a different direction. So we talked about the public, or you just did. What about the scientific community? 
So they're, you know, if you were to say humans are fish and be technically correct and everybody in the public is looking at you funny, how is the scientific community? Is this something that is you know, in a state of flux and a source of constant arguments? Is this something that they figured out decades ago and the public side is still trying to catch up? Like what, what is the state of all of this with regards to people that do it for a living? So, I mean, we have known that, you know, tetrapods, meaning things with four legs, um, evolved from fish. We've known that easily for probably close to 80 years at this point. Wow. So, and then, then that's when you get terms like, so if you were talking specifically about, you know, fish, fish, people who would talk about that would say non-tetrapod fish, or they would probably say like non-tetrapod osteichthians, because that's the group of fish that we evolved from. Mm -hmm. And you hear that much more often when talking about dinosaurs, because as scientists, you know, when they talk about dinosaurs, that dinosaur, the group also includes birds. So to denote that you are not talking about birds, you say non-avian dinosaurs. That's probably the thing that people are most familiar with, because you'll see that a lot in Facebook groups and things talking, talk about dinosaurs. Um, and that's typically when people are like, why do you have to put non-avian dinosaurs? Birds aren't dinosaurs or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. So the last point that I kind of want to talk about here is all right. If this all works so well, because scientists by and large do agree on most places to draw lines, you know, nobody is really quibbling you know, where to draw the line primates. Nobody's really quibbling where to draw the line for crocodiles. It's mostly at the very fine scale that people kind of argue. So. And, and that's the kind of thing you would almost expect. Like, it'd be hard to have a system where people didn't argue at the, you know, kind of nitty greeny finer points, right? Right. And so if this all works so well, why do scientists argue about things? Because there are very few exceptions, but like I said, for the most part, we talk, we argue about the small stuff. One of the, one of those exceptions is turtles, actually, because as we've mentioned before, <laughs> turtles is, is the only like fairly large scale group that we just kind of don't know where it goes. Really? Yeah. And is, is that because it's in a group of its own or because it could plausibly fit into several different groups? It could plausibly fit into several different groups. And so turtles are very weird. They have a lot of features that nothing else has, which makes it really hard to figure out, looking back to that similarity, you know, they are not similar to any other animals. So it is hard to figure out what they're related to. And uh, then you sort of get a lot of the people who don't really understand genetics being like, well, why don't you just take DNA from everything and figure it out? Cause that's something that our teacher I'm, at one point even asked us, he's like, why don't we do that? I mean, that, that sounds one of those things that's just easier said than done. But like, if you conceivably had enough money and time, is that a thing that's possible or would that not yield the answer? Both. So number, okay. number one, even if we did have DNA from every living species on the planet, our computers are not strong enough to 
work that out in a reasonable amount of time. It would take decades and decades and decades. Because for, wow. for each new sample, you have to compare that one sample to all the other ones. And at this point, we've got about a million species. And that's just animals, you know, let alone all the plants, all the bacteria and things. And so if you did it with just the animals, you know, uh, it just, our computers are not strong enough to do that, number one. Uh, and number two, DNA is weird because sometimes it changes slowly. It evolves slowly, but other times it evolves really fast. What counts as really fast? I mean, th there are rates that you can look up. But so, for example, um, in our Living Fossils episode, we talk about coelacanths. And coelacanths have changed very, very little uh, over their fossil history, at least appearance-wise. And so we think that that's just because their DNA has a really low mutation rate. They reproduce really slowly. Uh, so there's just less of a chance for mutations to happen and then be passed on. Whereas things in, you know, say, say, you know, famously rabbits are very famously good at reproducing. Uh, so that just provides much more time and more generations for DNA to change. And so what can happen sometimes with DNA is that it can, you know, if two groups are evolving slowly and one other group that's related is evolving really quickly, it can make those two evolving or those two slow groups look like they are more closely related than they are. Just by comparison. Right. Because if they're both changing at a slow rate, they appear more similar to each other than this one who's evolving real fast and just changing real fast. So if it's changing a bunch of stuff, then that sort of artificially will make the computer think that the two slowly evolving ones are more closely related than they are. And it is almost like there are ways to do it if you're only working with a couple of groups, but it is almost impossible to, to suss that out if you're using a large sample size. So just go get DNA from everything is, is just not a viable solution. Uh, and this really becomes a problem when you're talking about things with, um, for example, snakes. We really don't understand a lot of which snake groups are more closely closely related to what others. Um, you know, the, the bigger scale stuff in snakes, like we know all the boas and pythons are over here. We know where all the venomous ones sort of sit. But with your regular sort of garden variety snakes, your garter snakes uh, and things like that, where each of those species and each of those genera sort of fit, we, we don't really know because snakes evolve very quickly. And so it confuses the heck out of a lot of different methods that we currently have to do this. It's more like it's that it's the exception that's going to break the rule, whatever the rule is, it sounds like, because if you have a system designed for most other things, you're still going to have a large minority that just don't play by those rules. Right. And those ones that don't play by the rules really screw up the results from the rest. But you can't exclude them because they're still part of whatever group you're trying to study. So excluding them is just not something that, you know, you're really allowed to do. 
Is it a fool's errand, just the whole exercise of trying no. to organize and categorize everything? No. Um, and for okay. that'll be my, my finishing point here. So okay. I'll circle back to that in a sec. Um, and the biggest thing as a paleontologist that sort of bugs me with a lot of cladistics and things is that if traits don't fossilize and aren't found, we can't use their history in the trees that we make. So, for example, you know, say in coelacanths, um, I know that they don't have a swim bladder, but pretend they do. If, uh, you know, they're evolving really slowly, the swim bladder is a an organ that's, you know, it's completely soft. That would not fossilize. And so if that changes and say that potentially would be really important in classifying certain groups of coelacanths, we just wouldn't get it. That is information that is lost to time. And that is... See, that, that's part of what makes me think this is a fool's error. Like, there's... You are not going to be able to have all the information to be able to to do this. It's... I don't... Like, I don't know. I am almost leaving this more pessimistic now. Just that <laughs> it is... You know, you might be able to get 60 or 70% of the way there. But there is just so much missing information. Yeah. That you, it... You will never quite... Even if you had a perfect system, you don't have all the information to make that uh, system work properly. Yeah, and and I understand why why that thought is there. I really do, and I, I definitely mm-hmm. uh, sympathize with that. Um, mm-hmm. But so my last bullet here is that so there is one single right answer to the tree of life regardless of what people argue, there is a right answer to where each branch on the tree goes. Right. We will almost certainly never get there because fossils are generally uncooperative. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that's not important to try because it can really teach us things a lot about how the history of our planet and the history of life on our planet uh, has gotten to be where it is today. And also where, you know, by understanding patterns of evolution in the past, we can understand where evolution might go in the future, which is also potentially really important because we want to live in the world of the future. Um, and with how humans are mucking everything up, the more we understand about the potential future, uh, the better. And that's always, you know, important just to have a better understanding yeah, you know, that, that is worth doing just on its own. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll, I'll close with that. And I know that this might not have uh, answered a ton of questions because, like I said, this is a like graduate school level kind of concept. Uh, and I was taught it by people who have been teaching it for, you know, decades or, you know, a decade or so. So. Uh, clearly I have but not. it opened up a lot of questions like that's like that's what's I think important is that <clears throat> this might not have answered a whole lot of questions but it did you know bring up a whole lot of questions that are hard to answer and that's you know that is almost just as worth doing than just to answer a bunch of questions this you know is exposing a lot of you know even with me this is just kind of exposing different ways of thinking about problems that don't have clean and tidy answers yeah absolutely um and so like I said at the beginning if you have questions um and want them answered better than Google might provide, um, or at least have me do the Googling for you. Um, check, check out the YouTube. 
and just like if you have a question just put it in the comments um or you know tweet at or dm the uh podcast twitter account you can find that down in the show notes as well um and i would be more than happy to address any kind of questions on this because it's something that feels really important but also really poorly understood by most people uh and if you've made it this far in the episode, yeah. you know, even if you don't have any questions, it would make Gavin happy if you it put sure one or would. two of them down there. It sure would. <laughs> all right, is that uh, is that it? Is that all we have on taxonomy? I think so. Good, because I'm not done. So, oh, we are going to close today's episode with something that we normally do here at the beginning, but we wanted to put at the end just to make sure we got all the uh, the hardcore science out of the way today in history. Yeah. Um, as we are recording this, um, on we are doing this on Sunday. January 16th. Um, there's a lot of snow coming in here to New York. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's the same thing where you are right now. Oh, it's, yeah, it's totally. Uh, we got about uh, a tenth of an inch of rain yesterday, and it was uh, about 65 degrees. So, okay. we had wind chills down to like negative 10 or 20, I think, over the weekend. It was, it was a bit. So, yeah, I, uh, well, I, I, text, I text my mom yesterday, and I was just yeah. like, hey, how's the weather up there? And she just replied, effing cold. <laughs> <laughs> so in that spirit um for july or pardon me january 19th so the day this episode comes out in 1977 snow falls in miami florida this is the only time in the history of the city that snowfall has occurred there interesting yeah. what, what year was that 77 77 1977 huh. so yes that is uh that was our today in history to cap off what was a uh what was a really informative episode and it was not it was not quite as out of reach as, uh, as I would have expected. This is something that I think is graspable by um, a lot of people that, you know, have kind of a science brain or a science mind. And uh, thank you, Gavin, for putting that all together for us. Yeah, of course, buddy. Awesome. So this has been episode 58 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. Make sure to head over to YouTube if you have not done that already, because Gavin will be down in the comments answering your questions. And we will see you all next Wednesday. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Gavin Davidson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Fenella Campanino. It was sound edited and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you.